0: All right. Well, um, we are continuing in our look at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And we have been and will be here for a little bit in John's gospel because John records some things that are not in the other gospels between Jesus' baptism and temptation and then his Galilean (coughs) ministry. John gives us a glimpse into that. And we looked last week at his visit to Jerusalem and his teaching on the new temple and his and his talk to Nicodemus about the requirement of new birth, of being born again, of being born from above. And remember, Nicodemus is coming with the attitude of, well, I've got the right birth. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a son of Abraham. I am Israel. I've got this. And, and he's, he's shocked by, by what Jesus says. Remember, at the end of chapter 2, I mean, at the end of, uh, the, the, not chapter 2, but yeah, at the end of chapter 2, Uh, we're told by John that Jesus knows what's in a man. He knows what's going on in people. And when, you know, Nicodemus is there, you know, kind of saying, hey, you know, what's going on? And then Jesus just cuts to the chase, knowing what he and everyone needs, and that is this new birth. If this is God's kingdom, you must be born into this kingdom. This is God's earth. We're born into this earth. So this is something new. Therefore, new birth, supernatural birth, birth from above. And we looked at that. And we left off in verse 8 with Jesus explaining uh, this baptism of the Spirit and the new birth and comparing it to the the vagaries of the wind and the mystery of the wind. But you can still see the physical manifestation of the wind, even though you don't know what's going on. So we left off there. So our outline is going to continue with Jesus' discourse on this. Now, there's a little more than that, but we're going to look at what Jesus' discourse is. Now, in John's Gospel, he, there are several long discourses. So, I'm just going to use that term right here because I just needed something to alliterate. And then we're going to look at John's the Baptist's delight. Okay? Not John the Gospel writer, but John the Baptist's delight at what's going on with Jesus. It's interesting that John records a simultaneous ministry of John and Jesus that the others do not and it's great to look at John's reaction. And then we'll wrap up chapter 3 with John the writer's sort of summary of what, of everything we've been looking at these last two weeks. All right, with that in mind, we're now going to transition. So Jesus has just said, he's just said that uh, in v- chapter 3, verse 8, uh, the wind blows where it wishes you hear the sound of it don't know where it comes from where it's going but everyone who is uh, so it is with everyone who's born of the spirit so he's he's told him about this new birth and now we're going to start with Nicodemus' reaction remember he's he's a he's a teacher a leader a part of the sanhedrin pharisee and jesus response and we're going to break it up uh, into a couple we're going each of these outline points has we're going to break it up into two sections so First of all, Jay, our first reader. Chapter 3, verse 9 through verse 15, Jay. All right.
1: right. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Very truly, I say, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have been. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in
0: him, they have eternal life. All right, thank you, sir.
1: Okay, that's it.
0: All that's it. You did great. Thank All right. So Nicodemus, of course, hearing this, says, "Well, how can this? How can these things be?" Now, again, he's not being obtuse. Okay, he's not like the like the first question. He's there's. I don't think he's. He's trying to. So, how is this? And of course, Jesus' response is is perfect. Um, because the irony, here, here's the irony, of course. He's going, how can this be? Well, how it can be is sitting right in front of him. Okay, is that the Messiah is right in front of him. Okay, Jesus is right there. How, which is, we, of course, get the irony. But, you know, he, he's not at this point. And Jesus' response initially is, is, so you're a teacher of Israel. And you don't understand this? You're the teacher of Israel. In other words, he's got a, they're, they're, people look to you. You should know this. You should be able to figure this out. It's not like this has just come out of nowhere. While the new birth is shocking, it's also predicted. Uh, We brought up last week uh, Ezekiel 36. Let's go ahead ahead and thumb there. Ezekiel 36, talking about the future restoration, renewal of Israel, beginning at verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from your filthiness, from your idols. Moreover, I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You'll be careful to observe my ordinances. Uh, Nicodemus, being a student of the law, being in, in anticipation of the Messiah, should put these things together. In fact, Jesus has already told them. And he goes, and you still, you don't understand? So I say to you, truly, truly, there's John's phrase again that he has, you know, that Jesus says, meaning, I want you to pay attention. This is solemn truth. We speak of that which we know. Bear witness of that which we've seen, and you don't receive our witness. Because this is not an opinion. In this we, you know, there there are intonations now of his union with the Father, but also of his link with John the Baptist's ministry and his disciples. We speak of that which we know, bear witness of that which we've seen. In other words, these are God's truths. This is not something I'm just kind of trying to figure out. He's establishing his authority. And if I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how should you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Of course, now we're wondering what... What does that mean? Well, what are the earthly things, and what are the heavenly things? Interestingly, at the end of chapter three, go ahead and thumb there to verse, or scroll there, whichever way you want to do it. I don't know. Uh, look at verse thirty-one. He who comes from above is from above. He who is the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And in this case, this is reference, this is a comparison, we'll get to it, of John the Baptist and Jesus and their teachings. And he's saying, basically, look, I've told you the things that you should know through what John the Baptist has been doing. And I've told you about the spiritual. Those are the earthly things. In other words, from a teacher of the earth, earth, earthly things. And how am I going to explain the full depth and full understanding if you can't even get that, the heavenly understanding? And what he's saying, basically, it's, it's almost an idiomatic way of saying, look, I've, I've made it plain, and, and you still don't, don't get it. You're, you're a man, you're earthly, and, and you, you want to get into these heavenly things, but look, you can't just learn your way up to heaven. You can't just work your way up to heaven. The next line, no one has ascended into heaven. In other words, You can't just do this on your own. But he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. Here we get Jesus' understanding already of his pre-incarnate nature. He, He gets who he is at this point. And he's saying, I'm bringing you this from the heavenly realm. It's not something I've worked out, not something you can work out. I'm telling you from the heavenly realm, this is the way it is. So, he's basically at this point saying, look, I've made it plain. And you still don't get it. But I'm telling you as one who knows, one who is from the Father, one who is from heaven. And what is it? And he's going to now continue with this discourse. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes may in him have eternal life All right, let's go ahead and look at that turn to numbers numbers chapter 21 well this bible drill today numbers 21 uh, the scene is people are striking camp from Sinai. They're going to the plains of Moab, and they're grumbling. <laughs> of course. They're like us. All right. And they're grumbling. The beginning in verse 5. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, no water. We love this miserable food. Strike you there. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many of the people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We've spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard, And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. And Moses made the bronze serpent, set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. This is the type of which Jesus is the fulfillment that he's bringing up right here. Now later, interestingly, that serpent... Uh, the, 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 The standard with the serpent was preserved. And later, when Hezekiah came to power as king of Judah, and he instituted his reforms to clean up all the idolatry, one of the things that people were idolatrous about was this very bronze serpent. And he had it smashed to bits. It's so funny how we can take even every good thing and pervert it and turn it. Uh, they had made this, that which the Lord had done, the symbol of what the, of the Lord's deliverance, and started worshiping that. And, and Moses had—I mean, not Moses, but Hezekiah—had it smashed. You ever had that Bible drill where everyone someone says, "All right, see how much you know the Bible? Turn to the book of Hezekiah," and it sounds like it ought to be a book of the Bible. <laughs> but it fools, kids, all the time. You can use that. All right. Um, or tell them to turn to speculations and see what they do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. And then someone will raise their hand. First or second speculations? I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, anyway, what you have here, of course, is you can see the type. You know, here's this, this this bronze serpent lifted high, and people look in faith. That's the thing. It's not this... this it's not the thing that does it. It's, the, it's God who's doing this because they are trusting in God's deliverance. That's what's going on here. And of course, that's what Jesus is pointing to, that he too will be lifted up. And John later tells us, using that same verb, that Jesus says, I have to be lifted up. That he says that he's saying that to tell us by which means he he will die. The cross. Now, some will say this is also his exaltation, but the cross is part of that exaltation. All right? That he is lifted up. Now, you don't want to push the imagery too far because remember, the serpent was the problem. So, you don't want to say that Jesus is the problem. However, evil and sin are the problem, and we're told that Jesus takes that sin upon himself there's a lot a lot of a lot of stuff going on here but the point is that God works the deliverance we exercise faith in God's provision and that provision here already we see Jesus looking forward to what he knows is coming and that is the cross so Nicodemus says well how, how is this going to how can this be He's right in front of him. That's how this can be. And of course, people reading this, this is much later, John's gospel is later, they, they too will have more of an intimation of, oh, yes. John and, his, and the rest of the disciples had to figure it out as they went. But we, through the mouth of Jesus, see God's deliverance in Christ. Already, very early in the ministry, Pointing forward, and now this is going to be explained some more in just a moment. But I love that image of the bronze serpent. Now, some people say, "Well, that's the caduceus, right?" The medical, you know, the medical symbol. It's interesting that in America we get it wrong. We we usually have the the standard or the the, the pole with two snakes and wings, right? Which is the staff of Hermes, actually. That's not the actual. There's one staff with one snake that kind of hearkens to the bronze serpent in the wilderness and the Greek god of healing. But anyway, that's... You all can have that. You were saying something. Absolutely. Oh, amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, don't point that out, by the way. You don't have to... That's wrong. <laughs> Even our... our uh, but we're a classical school, the school I'm at, we should know better. <laughs> but our uh, training staff, our student training staff on the sidelines, those kind of stuff, their shirts have that on there. I said, oh, cool, you all represent Hermes, all right. <laughs> mm. Don't tell your parents that, they're paying a lot of money for you to be here. <laughs> all right, well, now we're coming to John 3.16. All right, Ron, you need to stand up. You need to get, come on. You need to. Can y'all see his tie? It's it's John 3.16. I said, you knew that. He goes, nope. I didn't know it. Didn't know it. What'd you call it? A wink? One of God's God wink. God wink. A God wink. That's cool. Well now we're going to finish the first part of the outline, going through verse 21, and now we're going to get a little more understanding. And, and we usually just pluck John 3.16 out of its context, and it works. I mean, it's, it's not like you can't understand John 3.16. But interesting, when we unpack it for people, we, we have to go to where it got plucked out of. All right, so now we're going to look at it in context. Having just said what he said about the crucifixion and the comparison to the snake, the bronze serpent in the wilderness, now we get further explanation. Now, there are... Here, here, just before we jump in, um, we're left to wonder, all right, are these the words of Jesus continuing, or is this John commenting? Because remember, the original manuscripts have no punctuation, there's no word spaces, there's no quotation marks, there's none of that. Some Bibles will have this as a continuation of the words of Christ, some will have it as John's commentary Having given what Jesus has just said. Now, what we learn from it doesn't change either way. So, you're free to have, you know, you're free to understand any, however you wish. But throughout your interpretation of the book of John, when scholars are translating it and doing this, knowing where to use red ink for the words of Jesus, those sorts of things, um, they have to make these decisions. And there's going to be another one in the second passage. Not with the words of Jesus, but with the words, are these John the Baptist's words or John the writer's words? So, we'll, we'll see what's going on there. My Bible has it in red. So, we're going to go as if Jesus is continuing. Because, you know, if the New American Standard was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. <laughs> Just kidding. I said that wrong, right? It's supposed to be if the King James, King James that's right, King James was good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me. <laughs> yep. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear from verses six, from verse sixteen through twenty-one. And as we do, you're going to hear now John's one of John's great themes of darkness and light. He's going to bring that to the forefront. All right. You have the tie. You have to do it. Yeah, it's built in. Yeah.
2: has been done in the sight of God.
0: Awesome. Doesn't need a whole lot of commentary, but I'm standing here, so let's look at it. <laughs> um, and of course, John 3.16, uh, you know, that is sort of a, the great evangelistic verse, and it's beloved worldwide throughout the history of the church, and rightly so, because it so encapsulates uh, so much. I've heard whole sermon series, not just sermon but sermon series is. It? Series is? Series is? Anyway, what's the plural of series? Series is? Serai. <laughs> I like it. I've, hold, I've heard whole sermon serai. <laughs> Good job. You hardly have a series without it being plural. A series, but more than one of the series.
1: Right. If it's
0: a series of series. A series of series. <laughs> I like it. Series squared, how about that? All right, anyway, whatever this is, sorry, that, where'd we go? All right, but I've heard a whole series of sermons uh, on each phrase or almost word, you know, so people unpacking it. We could spend a lot of time here. Um, we're, of course, familiar with it, but, I, but we, we do need to remind ourselves of the, of the grand truth of John 3.16, and, and it's... And I especially loved how Ron emphasizes, emphasized that God gave. God did this as he was reading. God so loved the world. Now, remember, part of the understanding of Israel at the time and the coming of the Messiah is that He loved Israel, not the world. He loved Israel, and He's going to deliver Israel. And there will be judgment that comes with that. And that judgment is going to be on the rest of the world. Forgetting, of course, that Israel was to draw the world to God. And that's part of why Nicodemus can't fathom this. And now you have God so loved. And you know, if you're Nicodemus, you're thinking, Israel. No, the world. Not just Israel. God so loved the world that He gave. His love acts. That's what love does. He gave His one and only, His only begotten Son. I don't want to say too much metaphysically about this, about the nature of begotten, because that that phrase can be used elsewhere of other people in Scripture and and in extra-biblical literature. That phrase is used of people that have more than one Son, but there's a uniqueness about this. Now, obviously, this is God's only Son, but... There's a uniqueness, His only unique Son, the one and only, that whoever believes in Him. Notice it's something we receive, it's not something we have to acquire. Should not perish, but have eternal life. And the key, of course, for Nicodemus is to hear the world and this and when we hear eternal life, we hear different things. We sometimes think of that as like a long time, like eternal as in never-ending. And there's, it's not wrong to say never-ending, but the, the term is the life of the age. Okay, the ionos, the age. This was an age they were anticipating. The kingdom of God, the life of the new age, new birth. He says it's through the giving of the Son. God so loved that you can see this through belief in Him, this new life, the life of the age, that is not future, although there is a future fulfillment, but is right now. Don't think so much of everlasting life, how how we translate that, as quantity, as quality, a new thing, the life of the age, that Israel has been looking forward to. Remember, they divided history into two sections. The present age, the age to come. That life of the age to come, you can have now. It's here. Now, that's one of the great
2: promises of God, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We
0: have to live by the promises of God. Very good, yeah. When in doubt, remember God's promises. Always remember God's promises. Well, I hope you heard, as we read further now, him him helping them to understand, and helping us to understand, that the motivation for this love is not to come in and say, ha-ha, to judge and condemn, but because of love. Notice, God didn't send the Son into the world to judge the world, but to say that, that the world through Him might be saved. Delivered from the domain of darkness, of sin and evil and imprisonment to our own sinful nature. All of that. That is why the Son came. To save. God loved so much that He came to save. Now we are told... John actually has the words coming right out of Jesus' mouth that he came to judge later in John's Gospel. How how do we put this together? How do we figure this? Well, as we read further, the, the opposite side of the coin of those who believe and inherit this new life comes with an equal consequent of, well, if you don't, Does that mean God will judge you in the future about that? Jesus says, no. Look at what He says. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. In other words, as we understand this eternal life, everlasting life, the life of the age, as being now with a future fulfillment, equally... So, so for those who are under judgment, that judgment is now. We don't have to await judgment, we're under judgment. It's moving from darkness to light, all through Jesus Christ. All right, let's, uh, verse, uh, he believes in his judgment, okay, 19, and this is the judgment, here it is, that light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light. I would say we could accept that as an axiom. Um, I mean, that's just how we—that's how we roll. Um, you know, any time a student is called into my office, um, because they've done something, okay, and I have to sit there with them and talk about it and see what's going on. Nine times out of ten, the first reaction is, of course, denial. Because this do I? No. Not me. I no no no. Uh, because the light is starting to shine on what's happened, and our natural inclination is to scurry to the darkness. We're like cockroaches. <laughs> you want to think of that? Ooh. You know I can handle just about any kind of critter—bugs, snakes, that kind of stuff, spiders even. <clears throat> but cockroaches my wife is just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just you. Yeah, see, that was yeah, yeah, OK. We got it. And anyway, we, we scurry to the darkness. Yes, ma'am.: I: Good for you. Yes, ma'am.
3: Mm-hmm. And this beautiful, magnificent temple was, as you were saying, a, a draw for people. But if all these teachings of Jesus are the intent of one's heart. Where is one's heart really involved? And the educated leaders of the country were participating in what was going on there. People were coming from all over the world, but they were using Greek money or Roman money. And the temple had set up, you had to buy shekels. About the intent of these foreigners' hearts, anybody was encouraged to make sacrifices at the temple. So it was really a money making deal. And so I can see Jesus looking at them and saying, The intent of the heart, the leaders of our country, the intent of their heart is not that these people come to God in their sacrifice, is that they pay and buy one and, and do that. And they have to buy, buy with our shekels. Good. Yeah. So with Nicodemus, the same thing—it's
0: the heart that has to be changed. Good job. I thought you were talking about our elections. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're not going there. There <laughs> go. Excellent, yeah, very good. Exactly. Well, speaking of that light and dark and heart and doing the truth, I love that phrase, those who do the truth, which we'll get to later. Let's look at John's commentary on this. Let's look at 1 John. Some great stuff. Chapter 1. Beginning in verse 5. Now this is the message we've heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. Uh, the book, a couple books right before that, we have Peter talking about how amazing it is that we are God's people, that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, in 1 Peter chapter 2, and at the end of that, in verse 9, a people for his own possession that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Love that imagery of darkness and light. And if we go back to John chapter 2, I mean chapter 3, sorry, where we were, After we read that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest the light expose their deeds, which we just talked about. But he who practices the truth, be a truth-doer, not just know the truth, but does the truth, comes to the light, that his deeds may be made known as having been wrought, done in God. Notice the lines that are drawn here, the, the lines between, I didn't bring out the fact that when Jesus is addressing Nicodemus, uh, when he says you, it's plural. After he said we, when he says you, that's a plural you, y'all. Sometimes I wish Bibles would do that, you know, just put y'all so we'd know that he's talking about those who don't believe. And the lines are drawn. Uh, Christianity properly articulated destroys neutrality. There's light, and there's darkness. Could you repeat that, please? What's that? That that previous statement. Oh, Christianity, properly articulated and understood, I added, oh, (laughs) destroys neutrality. Now, I have to add nowadays, properly articulated, because there's so many people that, and there's so many false teachings out there about what Christianity is that, you know, encourages neutrality almost if you want to think of it that way yes. yeah all right now we're going to hear more about this darkness and light and especially John's what we just read in John's commentary as we get to the second half of our second point but we have to get to it first but before we move on any any further comments yes sir Mr. you Mr. of the tie yes yes
2: This section really does confirm the concept of original sin. Yeah, exactly. And the original sin, we think of it as eating apples, but actually as moving into darkness. That's what the sin was. And the only way to get out of sin is not because we can find our way, because it's too dark, we can't see. We have to have the light come and rescue us. Excellent. Save
0: us. Right. Exactly. Hence, you know, Nicodemus' failure to understand in many ways. You know, he thinks you can climb up, mm-hmm. and you can't. Well, interestingly, we're going to hear about John the Baptist again, and because we're going to hear that Jesus leaves Jerusalem. Remember, he's in Jerusalem at this time. goes into the countryside of Judea, and he and his disciples uh, are ministering and baptizing. And John is going to hear about this, and we're going to hear this great testimony uh, from John the Baptist. Now, this is only recorded in this gospel, John's gospel. The other gospels, just at, after Jesus' temptation, they go straight to the Galilean ministry. Everything we've been looking at so far is in that gap that John, the gospel writer, provides for us. So here we have this overlap of Jesus and John's ministry that is not included in the other Gospels. And John's gonna make a little comment about it so we know why it's there. He'll, he'll tell us, he gives us a little parenthetic, in case people are reading his Gospel later, the other Gospels were earlier, they may be reading John's Gospel and go, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, where did this happen? And he's gonna provide a little, here's why this is in here kind of thing. But let's hear this situ- what happens because Jesus and John are both baptizing. It's kind of fun. Uh, So, verses 22 through 30. 22 through 30. Someone read those aloud for us.
1: Oh,
0: we we get two J's. All right, let's do it.
1: All right, 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he spent some time there with them and and baptized. John also was baptizing at, at Aaron. Near Salim, because water was abundant there, and people kept coming and were being baptized. John, of course, had uh, had not yet been thrown into prison. Now a discussion about purification arose between John's disciples and a Jew. They came to John and said to him, "Rabbi, the one who has the one who is with you across the Jordan, to whom?" You testify here is is baptizing, and all are uh, coming are going to him. John answered, "No one can receive anything except what has been given him, given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses." And I said, "I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who is the bride is the the bridegroom." Friend of the bridegroom, who stands to hear him, his voice is great. the at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease.
0: All right. Of course, that last line is is, is famously known and quoted. Uh, but it's it's an intriguing uh, little little scenario. Again, it's not recorded in the other Gospels. And you notice that John, the Gospel writer, um, in verse 24, just inserts for us, kind of parenthetically, well, John had not yet been thrown into prison. In other words, he, well, obviously he's not thrown into prison, he's doing things, but that's not, obviously that's not, you know, referencing that he's doing things, it's referencing those of us who are going, well, oh, it's before he was thrown into prison. Okay, gotcha. Well, let's back up. Notice, uh, we're not given a whole lot of details. Just after this, he and his disciples, the land of Judea, somewhere in the countryside. Now, Jerusalem is in Judea, so it's the countryside of Judea. We're not told exactly where, but he was spending time with his disciples and baptizing. Now, we're told later in chapter 4 at the beginning of chapter 4 that Jesus himself was not baptizing anyone. His disciples were baptizing. So, we're left to wonder what kind of baptism... Of course, is this? Is this the full blown Christian church baptism, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which of course Jesus commands later? Or is this like John's baptism, an understanding of repentance, coming into the kingdom work? And of course the Messiah is right here. Or is it a hybrid? What, what's going on? I think we have to think of ourselves as this is on the way to what we understand as Christian baptism. But people understood John's baptism and John having, John the Baptist, sorry, this is going to be so confusing. John the Baptist having pointed to Jesus as saying, this is the guy. This is the Messiah. And now his disciples baptizing as well. But this is the only time we're told in any of the Gospels as well that Jesus, that his disciples baptized. Uh, Does that mean they never did again or we're not told? But this is what we're told here. But because he's baptizing, John the Baptist is continuing his ministry, still pointing to Jesus Christ. And we're told where he is. It's great how John the, I mean, John the writer gives us these details. Oh, he was baptizing in Anon near Salim. We have no clue where that is. I mean, he gives it like we're supposed to know. There is a lot of speculation. I wasted a lot of time this week, <laughs> reading about those speculations, and finally said, just forget it. Uh, we do know it's further north than from where Jesus is, because John was already doing that, and it's on the other side of the Jordan from where he was baptized. Not on the, he's not on the east side, he's now on the west side, in case you're all wondering. And the reason we know that is because John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples say, that guy you were, when you, we were baptizing on the other side of the Jordan, how's that for deep? That's right. Well, but we do get clues. That word for anon is is Semitic root for springs, for springs of water. So when we're told, because there there was much water, many springs, there was a lot of water. And salim is from where we get shalom or peace. But again, there's a lot of archaeological speculation as to where this is. The point, though is that John is continuing his ministry of baptism. And while they're there, some of his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, come to him and say, because someone brought up purification, Jewish purification rites, probably because they're baptizing, they're using water. And there's probably some speculation, well, which baptism is greater or more efficacious for purification? We're not told. John, the writer, doesn't tell us any more details than that. And John the Baptist doesn't park on it, so it, it, it leads, the, however, to their, the, 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 John the Baptist disciples' concern that more people are going to this Jesus guy, but notice they don't even name him. That man. It's interesting that they could be with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist having witnessed to and pointed to Jesus himself, and there's still this Hesitancy to follow the Messiah, they're following John the Baptist. There's more loyalty to John the Baptist than to Jesus, the Messiah, to whom the Baptist is pointing. And, and that's just a natural human inclination. We're, we're obstinate in who we love and who we're with. And what do you mean it's not you? I have to. And quite likely, when John is writing this. He's in Asia Minor. He's in Ephesus, most likely where we think this was written from. And we're told in the book of Acts that there were people who were clinging still to John the Baptist and his teachings and not really having crossed over to following Jesus the Messiah. And there could be people already, I mean, I mean, not already, still at this time who are still, you know, kind of having this clinging to John the Baptist and his ministry. And what we have here, of course, is John recording for us, probably for them to say, well, you can see, though, Jesus is the one to whom John the Baptist is pointing. And John's response is great. They're they're thinking, aren't you jealous? I mean, he's he's attracting more. Aren't you jealous? Um, They came to him, and they, they call him teacher, rabbi. Again, we've talked about that word quite a bit. John answered in verse 27, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given him from heaven. Look, God's will is done. And what is, how does he say it? You were there. You bear witness yourselves when I said to you, I am not the Messiah. I have been sent before him. He was the bride. He has the brides, the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, namely me, who stands and hears and rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine is overflowing. Far from what they expected as a reaction, he says, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is what I've been pointing to. I am not the Messiah. I am not the bridegroom. I am the friend of the bridegroom, who brings the bride to the bridegroom and rejoices with what's happening to the bridegroom, with what's happening to Messiah. Hence, John's delight at this. And then, of course, he finishes up with, I must, I mean, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, in the original context here, of course, he's saying, my ministry, this is appropriate. My ministry should subside. And now... The kingdom and Jesus' ministry must elevate. Now, it's not wrong for us to take this and appropriate in our own lives sort of I, meaning me and my own selfish nature, must decrease, and he, meaning Jesus, in his reign in my heart, must increase. But that's not the original punch of the verse itself. This is a classic. If you go to seminary and you're studying, you know, exegesis, Bible interpretation, those kind of things, this is usually brought up as, as one of the classic examples of eisegesis. Exegesis means to take out of, so if you, as you study scripture you want to see what, how did the original hearers hear it, what's the history behind it, you want to dr- draw out what's going on, whereas eisegesis is you bring in your own, and kind of make it foreign to the context. Again, I don't think it's wrong for us to take the spirit of the verse and apply it to ourselves, but it's an original context. He's simply saying, my ministry, as it was supposed to, must take sec- must fade away, because that's where I'm pointing. Um, another classic example of eisegesis is when you learn that the Greek word for power is dunamis. Ooh, and people say, and that's where we get the English word dynamite. dynamite. And so, God's power is dynamite. Well, no. In other words, that's taking where we get a word and then putting that right back in. So, you've got to be careful of that kind of stuff. Now, if verse, if verse 31 is actually John the writer's words and not John the Baptist's continuation. Then it's interesting that in John's gospel, these are the last words we have recorded of John the Baptist. He must decrease. I mean, he must increase, I must decrease. There was, I saw a hand. I see that hand. Go back a step before you talk about that. I can do that.
2: That raises the question,
0: is there a difference? And that's what they were asking. That's probably what the dispute was. You know, was there some sort of difference? Or whose is greater, if you want to think of it that way? And, of course, John just skirts the whole thing. He just says, well, that's not the point. The point is, this is the way it's supposed to happen. And my take is that, that the baptisms are in the same family. Again, we're not certain of when the disciples were baptizing, who were with Jesus, were they saying this is John's baptism? It appears that from what he told Nicodemus about the need for repentance, it would appear that that's part of, that that's the nature of that baptism. But not full-blown church Christian baptism, I wouldn't think, yet. That's going to develop. But John, of course, sees this as, that's not the point. The point is, y'all are, y'all, there it is, um, you plural, you guys, are, are are worried about who's got the bigger crowd. That, that's not the point. That's, that's not it. And by the way, that's kind of like churches nowadays, too, right, sometimes. Who's got the bigger crowd? The room is full. The gospel must be true, right? I mean, that's, that's how we kind of treat it. Um, and so we do all we can to attract bigger crowds, and I don't want to get off on that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stop. Um, But the point is, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to have happened. Yes? uh,
2: Basically, uh, all four Gospels say that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Going back to light and darkness, I went back to Deuteronomy and says, this day I call on heaven and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Until so back then it was
0: choose. Exactly. M- Moses, before the people, before they're going into the promised land, choose life. Yeah, darkness and light. Excellent. We're not going to be able to get to the, the last patch, which is fine. I'll make it work with
1: <laughs>
0: next week. What else? Yes, sir.
2: Mm-hmm. Because there was much water there? Does that mm-hmm. say anything about the mode and how important
0: that is? About the mode of baptism itself? Uh, because he was doing it where there was much water. Right. Well, the actual term baptizo, of course, implies immerse. Yeah. Uh, and there was a lot of water there. So it appears that there's at least a, a, a sort of understanding of immersion. Um, but even Jews of the day, there's, there's different ways of understanding their baptism as they baptized. Um, it wasn't always immersion, even for them. So uh, there are certain denominations where the, where the mode itself would be something that's important. Baptist, for instance, <laughs> is the term. Uh, but uh, I don't think this necessarily says anything about the mode. But the name itself, the baptizer, implies that some would say that even he's not actually People would just walk into the water and immerse themselves. He wouldn't even necessarily do it. You no, know, I was a Baptist pastor, I, I have so many great stories about Duncan. Because um, um, you know, were, I, I did it a lot. You know, we had the waiters, the whole thing. Man, we, I could change, bam, on man on a fly. But I remember one time. I mean, this guy was—I don't know how tall he was—or how much he weighed. But beforehand, I was coaching him. I said, man, you're going to have to work with me here, buddy. Because, um, <laughs> so, you know, it's there's all these things you learn. And Anyway, so I have him. I'm like this. <laughs> and I said, and, and I'm miked, you know, in the water. Yes. Um, and I said, all right, squat down. <laughs> and so he squats, and I'm about to put him down, and his feet come out from under him. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was fun. Yeah,
0: yeah. It was. I didn't come out as quickly after that, but because all that water went down the waders, and I was, I didn't lose my footing. But and then and I said, okay, now when you come up, it's not me lifting. You got to pull on my arm. Oh, I mean, and it was. So anyway, it was dramatic. And at that point. That's when I became Presbyterian. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no I'm kidding. But it was, I've got so many others. It's great. Um, well, you know, the primitive Baptists
3: don't just immerse. It has to be running
0: water. Mm hmm.
3: Natural
0: running water. Natural running water. Which, um, you know, some of the early Anabaptists. Uh, you know, people, you know, that, that, that really emphasized adult conversion, like under under guys like Ulrich Zingli. But anyway, they're, they're in, you know, they're in northern climes in Europe in the winter. So people are wondering, okay, that's fine, but did you think they really dunked? Yeah. You know, or they, did they weigh? You know, so there's, there's fun debates about all these things. All right, let's pray. Thanks, Father, for the fun we can have around your word, uh, fun because we are rejoicing in the truth, uh, learning to practice the truth, uh, reaffirming our, our being plucked out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Thank you, Father, that uh, while passages are familiar to us, they can re-enliven us, and we're grateful for your Holy Spirit who does just that pray now that as we go forward into this week that we take the joy of knowing who we are because you loved us We take that with us and that it's evident in how we live and that our others are drawn to the light and the truth because of what we how we live what we say and by the power of your holy spirit we pray this in jesus name amen